Hello, and welcome to Keanu Club. Like a cool breeze over the mountains, this is episode 30, Freaked from 1993. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us today to talk about this weird, amazing movie is Zach Dazan. Hello, Zach. Hello. So this is a movie where Keanu Reeves is on screen for about three minutes and was paid a cool $1 million to play this role. And it's really difficult to see if it's actually him or not. It's weird that you pay someone, I mean, even a friend, so much money to basically just be in full head-to-toe hair and makeup. I imagine it to be exactly like the negotiation scene from this movie in which they just reveal cue cards that say you know, 500000 <laughs> 700000 okay, a million. Yeah. yeah, what's crazy is he's uncredited as well, right? No yeah. one knows he's in the movie. So not only is he Ortiz the dog boy in fur all over his face, yeah, he's extremely unrecognizable. Maybe only the voice if you could get through his fake Spanish accent. He has some mannerisms. A few of his Keanuisms come through, I suppose. This is a movie that's directed and written by Alex Winter, a.k.a. Bill S. Preston Esquire. Strikingly with dark hair, I was not ready for him to be not blonde. I was like, oh, God, this is... It's so... I'm so used to... I mean, I only know him from Bill and Ted, and I mean, even that's new, as we talked about. Those are the first times that I saw those movies, but, like, I am just see him as this blonde guy, and to see him in, like, this basically kind of a little bit of Ted in him, it's, it's weird. Wait, wait, is directed by one of the people in it? Oh, the star. No shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I so just remember th- it saying Tommy. Oh, Tom I Stern. Think, That's the other one. Yeah, I think there's yeah. a, it's co-directed. Yeah. Because Tom Stern and Alex Winter apparently had an MTV show called Idiot Box. Okay. And oh. they came up with okay. the, I think, and they came up with the idea for this on that show. And then they went ahead and they made this. Okay. Uh, they And they, they got a $12 million budget, which apparently $1 million went to Keanu and the other $11 million went to three different special effects companies that they hired to work on yeah. this movie. Wow. So, I mean, everything, it's all terrific early 90s practical effects and just great monster costumes and, like, stuff that would make Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi proud. Well, this having roots in MTV makes a lot of sense. Now that you're saying that, the intro sequence is very, very much like the, you know, that, that morphing MTV logo that we all love so dearly. Yeah. Yeah, we even get some claymation that reminded me of some early MTV. Very crude, sort of uh, crude and rude. But yeah, I think the money here is all well spent. Give the million to Keanu, but like all that special effects stuff is, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome to see. And it's really interesting that there's multiple effects houses working because there's a surprising cohesive look with all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. All the different freaks and stuff, they're all unique, but they also feel like part of the same team as well. So that's really interesting. And I agree with the whole Alex Winter is very uh, jarring here at first. Like, I didn't even recognize him. He didn't really go on to do very much acting. He became much more of a director after this and and a big director of internet documentaries, um, which are really good too. Uh, And I only knew him aside from Bill and Ted as the vampire with a blonde mullet from Lost Boys. (laughs) And he doesn't really even have a speaking role in that. So this was pretty interesting. I think he's charismatic and he carries the movie pretty well. Holy shit, he's from London. Oh, okay. I did not know that. I feel like it doesn't matter who's in this movie. I mean, it literally doesn't matter who's in the Keanu costume, (laughs) because, like, it's like acting against a great actor. If you're going up against, 
you know, some massive titan of industry. Like, you can do a good job, but, like, that's all you're going to see. Like, in this movie, you're not really paying attention to the actors or who they are, because, like, there's so many other things to look at that you could be a good actor, you could be a bad actor, you could be Bill S. Preston Esquire with black hair. It doesn't matter who you are, because, like, just, like, the creature effects, like, that's all people are looking at. Yeah, and, uh, Blossom's brother plays his best friend, which kind of I thought I found a little funny. It's kind of a 90s reference, Blossom, if you ever saw that show. But And then we also have Mr. T is in this movie and the voice of Bobcat Goldthwait, Randy Quaid, you know, so it's kind of, it's populated by some interesting characters here aside, but you're right, like, the main attraction here are the effects, I feel, and they're really cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they keep getting like cooler throughout too, you know. They almost yeah. like amp up all the way to the end where you have these two giant freaks fighting each other. Yeah. This I feel like is the ultimate example of like a cult classic because the movie cost twelve million dollars. I just looked it up and made twenty nine thousand dollars in theaters. <laughs> so like nobody saw it. Oh, uh, apparently man. at the very, very end of the movie when the woman we think is Brooke Shields is interviewing spoiler alert, is interviewing Alex Winter, and she's saying, you know, you've been talking for almost 90 minutes, it's time to take a commercial break, and at that point in the movie, we're like 75 minutes in. They cut 11 minutes from this because the early test screenings were so, so negative that all these young kids that they had, they brought in to watch this movie, they all thought they were going to basically see Bill and Ted 3, because, you you know, however they're going to bill it, like, you know, it's, it's Alex Winter, and maybe they said Keanu's in it, or whatever, and then this is what happens. I can just see sort of maybe mismarketing. So, I mean, mm-hmm. huge box office flop, but it feels like the kind of movie that surely has made $12 million in DVD sales because I feel like everybody who sees this movie and likes it, like sort of in the way that we like it, is going to want to own this. Like, you could probably pick it up for like five or six bucks. It's just one of those movies that, like, I got to show you this. And, like, even if you don't like it, it's going to be over in 75 minutes. I feel like the real target audience for this film is like people who are really into our crumb and alt comics from the uh, you know 60s and 70s. That's what they really should be marketing this for. Yeah, but what is that audience exactly? That is sort of the midnight movie My crowd. Because <laughs> I think I was telling you guys before the show, like the main mutant to me kind of reminded me of Ratfink and the Ed Roth uh, hot rod graphic design style that he used to do. So there is this cult influence it feels to the movie itself you know even the very idea of the freak show very garbage um, pail kids too yeah yeah very much i i would love to see the 11 minutes that were cut I, unfortunately <laughs> i i didn't see them on my completely so bare bones dvd there's not even a menu um <laughs> but and the first time i did see this was on vhs you just rented it at tower because like it was just one of those nights where you're just roaming through the aisles and you pick whatever and this was a new release and you know at the time the simpsons were kind of you know, still in the early years. And this reminded me kind of like a darker Simpsons episode. This was like almost before the Family Guy too. And and now it definitely has that kind of Family Guy feel to it, but maybe just a bit more of an acid trip. Yeah. It's kind of like a Treehouse of Horror episode, which I guess I sort of felt throughout. And then the, the end credits where people have like nicknames. Like, I don't know if you saw, but there was like, you know, uh-huh. like the prop department or whatever was like, quote, scary Gary, whoever. Like, it was just, uh-huh. they were doing the same thing that they do in the Treehouse of Horror episodes where everybody gets like a nickname. So it definitely has that same kind of vibe. And what I feel is interesting 
which I guess could be seen as a positive or a negative, but what I feel is interesting about this movie is that, as you guys are saying, there seems to be a lot of inspiration from different places in terms like the creature design and the practical effects, but it also feels like they're just grabbing comedic influences from, like, everything. Oh, yeah. Like, I was saying before to Zach, before we started the movie, basically this is every comedy you've ever seen jammed into one movie. Like, they're just pulling jokes and, like, types of jokes and, like, types of comedy, you know, slapstick, uh, everything, just smart jokes, real dumb jokes, everything. Like, if if they think it's funny, it's going to go in here. It felt like every time somebody riffed off in the script, like, they just wrote it into the movie. Yeah. And they, like, built a set piece around it. But you also get the sense that they know the art of comedy. Like, there's, there's oh, seems yeah. to be, like, respect for classic humor and then respect for, you know, gross-out humor. And they're trying to kind of touch all the bases, right? Like, they're going around and, and making sure that they've checked off, like, every category of humor. And I think you're totally right, Joey. Like, there's this randomness to it. And that's sort of what I was getting at with, you know, kind of like nowadays what we would get in something like Family Guy. So, in a way, it was, like, kind of... I'm not like ahead of its time, but like it was doing something I don't think audiences were quite prepared for. I mean, there's a whole scene in this movie that's basically just, uh, or not basically, it is a Hollywood Squares parody, yeah. and then that's just never returned to. There's like, a lot they of built, drop threads. They built that huge, like that couldn't have been cheap to build, and it's on screen for 45 seconds. Well, that's also like a, a riff on their bunkhouse, I think, too, right? Is like to introduce and to introduce all the freaks at once. They, yeah, they they do a parody of um, of Hollywood Squares there too. And then at the very moment before that, there's a actually we finally do get a Doctor Who joke where all the freaks are kept in the outhouse, and it's a really normal sized outhouse. But you open it up, and it's absolutely enormous on the inside, just like the TARDIS. So, you know, admit between Bill and Ted in this movie, we finally got our Doctor Who thread down. Are we talking like like drop threads? How much do you think they paid Bob Vila to get in there? Was that actually him? No, it's a Bob Vila lookalike. Uh... There's a guy credited on IMDb as <laughs> Bob Vila lookalike. And another thing that I read was that Mr. T got real mad on set and left three days early. Oh, wow. And so there's a Mr. T stand-in in one scene. That he just didn't come back for the dubbing, so when they have the Milkman scene and he's got that line, it's just some guy doing an impression of Mr. T. Like, it almost feels like, you oh, know, it, it feels like they almost like, had Bob Vila and like he backed out or whatever. Like, no, whatever. It doesn't seem like it matters to them. Like, cause it really doesn't matter whether or not it's Bob Vila or not. Like, he's just there as this representation of whatever. Like, it doesn't really matter if Mr. T's not in one shot, because it's almost, like, weirder and more surreal if it's just some other guy. Yeah, well, what was that scene? What was that scene where they were just, like... They, they like, open up, like, the wall, and there's a slideshow of this guy's family happening? Oh, right, yeah. They're tunneling underneath, and they found the lost city. And then it's... <laughs> It changes, right, to, to slides of their family vacation. <laughs> and then they just keep yeah. going, and then they're whatever. I mean, yeah, there's just a great spirit to this whole thing. You feel <laughs> that they can see the threads, and they're just trying to pull this movie together. And I don't know, there's there's something, oh, yeah. like, very cool about that. And, you know, when your big star is basically Randy Quaid, right? Like, I think you know <laughs> what you're getting in for. And, you know, William Sadler's in this, too. And, and he played Death in Bogus Journey. So that was a kind of cool connection, too. It's like, hey, yeah. you want to come hang out on my movie set for a couple of days? You're basically the second biggest name in my movie. 
everything about this movie is like weird and delightful and frustrating if you think about it to any extent. Like, yeah. if you want to put any kind of critical mind to this movie, nothing really makes sense. And like, it doesn't not make sense in the way that like you can sort of give comedies a pass. Like, just like nothing in here like makes any sense sort of at all. But also, it doesn't matter. Like, it almost seems like a halfway fleshed out idea that just became a movie, and it's just kind of great. It is internally consistent in its inconsistency. It's got like this Bojack Horseman quality to it mm. to a degree because the main character that Alex Winter plays is this ex-child star who is, mm. you know, looking for a job and he's he's got a pretty bad name and he's trying to clear it and everything. So I was thinking about that whole trope as well. And that's really all the background I needed. Once I got the, you know, 411 that he was a former child star, I was like, that's such a great, easy, quick in for me to get everything I need to know about his background and then I completely get why he's a dick and his whole demeanor and you know his entitlement <laughs> and all of that and then I see the journey and, and it's funny how he actually goes on a journey and comes out the other end as a better person. Wow. You had to write your local Raphael Bob Waxberg to thank him for that reading. That's, <laughs> that's, that's deep. This is the kind of movie that I mean even if you don't really have an in like that, you know Mike said that this is such a bare bones DVD like, you put the disc in your player, and it just starts up, and then as soon as the movie ends, it starts playing again, and I just sat there and I watched the first, like, five or ten minutes, because it's just, like, easy to get into, and even if you don't see it through the eyes of BoJack Horseman, which now I want to go back and watch it as though Alex Winter is Will Arnett, it's it's just such an easy thing to just sort of fall into, and just, it's sort of like cotton candy for your brain. Yeah. I mean, I, I went back and, like, watched a bunch of trailers and stuff after. I had to rewatch that first scene where they throw a kid out of the door of a, of a plane, <laughs> again because i was just like wow like what they're just pulling strings for the fuck of it and it's kind of amazing and it's extremely offensive and that's clearly what they're going for but uh, yeah it's 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 a it's a kind of miracle of sorts i really love the idea of him having this you know extremely devoted fan of his that is this little kid who just has watched every episode of his show but doesn't understand why he's grown up to be such an asshole and <laughs> he's like begging and pleading with him not to sign with the toxic waste company that he's going to be a spokesperson for and then yeah he's like oh Stewie it'll be okay and he kicks him out of the airplane and he flies through several plate glass windows and he's very hardy yeah and, and that's where I was kind of going next is like the kid <laughs> even looks like a freak before he gets freak juice on him right he yeah. they're called they call him like the troll boy and everything um and then when he's kicked out of the airplane he lands on the ground directly next to a haystack like he completely misses the haystack so it's like you know that's a one of the oldest Simpsons jokes. did it. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that just goes to show what kind of movie we're in. Like, it is trying to be a cartoon, I feel. Like, it's trying to be one of those old, you know, Fritz the Cats or something. And, it, yeah, or, you know, it kind of even almost at times was thinking Cool World for a moment or something. I mean, it's also, in a way, and I don't think I'm just saying this because they're on a plane, but it's like airplane. Like, there's just stuff, like, they're just going to keep throwing jokes at you. Like, after Stewie gets kicked out of the plane and is on the window and then sort of whatever there's just a stewardess who just takes a bomb from a passenger and like <laughs> right. puts in the overhead storage and like she says a line but like it's glossed over so quickly that if you're not paying attention to that part of the screen you're just gonna miss it and there's just you know like the haystack or whatever you know if, if a joke doesn't land for you just keep watching because they're gonna keep throwing things at you and just eventually you're gonna stumble across something that you like and sort of latch onto. and then of course a different plane blows up 
I love that joke actually when he's like, glad that isn't our plane. And yeah. <laughs> they cut to them safe and sound on the ground. I think the the joke that got me the most, and why I was just like cracked up on it inexplicably, was the hammer's backstory about how it used to be. Yeah, a wrench. that poor poor wrench. <laughs> and everybody's crying. After Alex Winter goes and becomes a freak, and he's sort of commiserating with his fellow freaks, they're all telling their backstory about how Mr. T was just like this angry man, and Randy Quaid said, "You, you know, you could just." get rid of your dick, you'd be a lot better off. He's like, but you can keep the beard. That's just how he became the beard lady. He's just a happy trans person. And then they just show the hammer on the ground, and then they flash back to somebody just taking a wrench off a, you know, a shelf at a hardware store, and that was it. Like, it just, he was a wrench, and then he became a hammer. Like, that's, like, a hammer is a freak version of a wrench, and poor, poor wrench. I also love how Frogman is just a guy in a frog suit. Like, yeah. he's a frogman. <laughs> he's not even, like, turned into a freak or anything. Could be glued to him. And Keanu is leader of the freaks, right? He's the guy who kind of does the whole orientation. Ortiz, the dog boy, he... Ortiz, uh, the dog boy, the top dog around here. Get away from me, you, you freak! <laughs> I am Ortiz, the dog boy, leader of the freaks. Kind of like the top dog. Welcome to hell, Rick. The only Latino person in South America, apparently. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned that Like, this all takes place in South America. But it's funny, yeah, and he's also the one who's doing the Hollywood Squares thing, too. So I thought that was, he's doing his little game show host impression. Ricardo, who is starred in the film Exorcist 2, The Heretic? Huh? Well, perhaps we should ask the worm. Tell us, worm. Who is starred in The Exorcist 2, The Heretic? Olivia Newton-John. Olivia Newton-John. Rick, do you agree or disagree? This is nuts. This is crazy. Besides, it was Linda Blair. Very good. It was Linda Blair. Circle gets the square. All right, all right. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. This feels like the closest role he's had to a cage role, or just like, just come on set and just like, basically, we're going to dress you like this, but do whatever you want for like three days, and then that's it. Like, we're going to give you a million dollars, just like, be weird with it. And I think he just, whether Zach's theory is accurate that they just sort of, whatever was improv was like written into the movie, <laughs> or if, he, if they actually had all this down on the paper, because I'm sure of all the people at this time, no one knows what Keanu can do better than Alex Winter, having just spent two movies and, you know, voice booth hours for the TV show. Whatever the backstory was, I mean, he's just going crazy. I mean, he's sort of unrec... I mean, he's... He's not recognizable, right? Like, it doesn't really look like him. Do you think it looks like him? It feels like him. But, like, does it visually look like Keanu? No. No, no. He's completely hidden. And we should mention, like, he's a dog boy. He looks more like the real-life wolf boy you see on the cover of, like, National Enquirer as opposed to, like, an actual wolf monster with a snout and all that kind of stuff. So um, I still didn't recognize him, but I knew it was him this time. So it was still hard to kind of see through for me, to be honest. Like, it was only until I nailed down his voice that... um that I actually could sense any of him through that. I didn't pick it up on his mannerisms because I thought he was trying to jump around like a dog the whole time. Because <laughs> the first time he came on screen, I didn't immediately recognize it was him, and then I realized who the character was, and I knew who I was looking for. I was like, oh no, I need to rewind because like he's not in it that much, and this is like his big scene, and so it's just a surprise. I also wondered if 
he was even the dog boy for the whole movie, you know, uh, especially at the end. It's kind of funny, like, there's a gag in the movie where they're trying to create a super freak, and they can't, but they steal these macaroons, and they accidentally take the antidote and all revert back to normal towards the end. But, like, at the very end, Dog Boy comes back because he was chasing a squirrel. And he hasn't reverted. So I don't I don't even know if that was Keanu at the end, you know? If they were just shooting all of the talk show scenes and they're like, let's do a joke with Dog Boy. And since he hasn't turned back to normal, we don't actually need Keanu. We could just put anybody in the makeup. They just have to yeah. put a squirrel in his mouth. Like, I, that's why it's so weird that they gave him so much money because it's not like you see him. We were talking for Much Ado About Nothing about how that movie was maybe supposedly financed because Keanu was going to be shirtless. Like, you're not having, like, a shirtless Keanu Reeves in this movie. You don't really have the draw. I mean, it's a wonderful decision, but it's just a weird decision to pay him so much money. It's a good question as what Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves' off-screen relationship is. It might have been, like, him throwing him a bone for something. Yeah, I mean, it also kind of feels like a million-dollar joke to a degree, right? Where they're like, let's, oh let's just fucking get Keanu. It'll be so hilarious. No one will know. But then, and then I was also thinking, though, now, the makeup in this, a lot of it is, like, he is totally covered, but he is very expressive through it, you know? So you, he can act through makeup, and we haven't really seen him do that before. All the other freaks are trying to act through the makeup, too. I think Alex Winter has the most thankless job there and does the best. He could barely talk through that stuff, but it looks so awesome, and he does a lot of other stuff with his body that it's pretty forgiving. But as far as Keanu, like, I can't imagine that was comfortable and his character is always very expressive with his body you know so like he's always moving around and he's never standing still and so like he's doing a good job as the dog boy through the makeup and everything and maybe we just wouldn't have gotten that with any other actor yeah i mean whatever money they spend on him it's well worth it for whether it's a joke or whether they want his physicality or whatever I'm totally on board, and also because he's in the movie, we get to talk about this movie for this podcast. That's worth a million dollars right there. <laughs> Absolutely. That alone, yeah. What I thought was kind of funny, it's not a Keanu line, it's an Alex Winter line, but he starts reciting a soliloquy from Richard III, and after we just saw My Own Private Idaho, which is based on Richard IV and Richard V, and we just saw Much Ado About Nothing, and we had like all these like old-timey... like This movie is sort of the last movie you'd expect to have a Shakespeare connection, and then they just bust out, and like there's a joke about it, about how that speech is basically saying I'm ugly and I don't get laid and you know it sort of makes that girl fall in love with him but you know it's it's like a, it's, it's a Keanu action we did so many cage movies and like I don't know if cage did anything in terms of Shakespeare that I can think of but you know here we are like three in a row or three out of four you know it's just like so much Shakespeare lately in Keanu club now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the son of York I didn't write this. What is this crap? That I'm not shaped for sportive tricks, <laughs> nor made to court an amorous looking glass. Hi. If you're having trouble understanding Mr. Coogan's brilliant reading of this soliloquy from Richard III, please take advantage of the handy subtitles for the culturally illiterate. Vile figure. Deformed. Sent before my time. Into this breathing world, scarce half made up. Why, I, in this weak, piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time. 
Well, I mean, I feel like if we're comparing this to The Simpsons, it's probably a pretty good likelihood that the writers on this were Harvard Lampoon types. But it also just shows a great sense of, you know, it's a Shakespeare joke. Let's just stop the movie and throw Shakespeare and just show like it can still work. And it works within the context. I just thought that was kind of funny where they, they're like, no, we know like we're capable of doing other stuff, but like we choose to do this, you know, like we could go do Richard the yeah. third if we wanted to or, or whatever. And, but we want to do freaked instead. And it kind of almost feels like flipping the bird a little bit or something. But I guess it's also another way for Alex Winter to go back in time, right? Sort of do it relive his days as Bill S. Preston, Esquire, sorry, that instead of going to Shakespearean England, he just brings Shakespearean England to this weird freak show. It's so great how the audience completely loves it as well. and They just want to see the freak boy, and then he comes out busting the acting chops, and everyone was like, wow. And it's especially funny now, remembering that this guy was a child actor who's just a douchebag, but actually is classically trained with real acting chops. And now he's like in the seventh level of his hell, like trying to claw his way out. It almost reminded me of that scene with Ben Stiller in Tropic Thunder when he's captured by the heroin guys in the in the rainforest and he starts doing the simple jack and he's like really good at it it's like almost that same sort of ptsd going on the only way i can accept this situation is to fall back on my training (laughs) i sort of wonder i mean this audience is wrapped by his abilities but then we see at the end after this 90 minute interview with brooke shields that the entire audience there is asleep so i don't know (laughs) i don't know if they were there to see this like freakish person that was bathed in shadows or what, but like, for someone who's so good at reciting Shakespeare, to suddenly lose all of his charm, like, I, s- I sort of want to know, like, the story he was telling to that crowd, because he lost all his mojo. Don't overthink it, it's just another audience Oh gag. no, I know. I mean, there's so many great audience guys. I love this, the rowdy crowd, and he's just like, excuse me, and they all just sit down. Yeah, there's a lot of riffing on the mob mentality in this, too. Yeah, I think there's just like, what if, like, the audience is asleep when they were talking, and they, we cut to the audience and they're all sleepy like it's just it just felt a lot like that whole kind of whatever seems funny when you're writing shit down the sort of the highest compliment i can pay this movie is that even when you know how a joke is going to pay off the whole movie you know he's telling brooke shields his story and he's bathed in shadow and then i knew you know from the very beginning that he's going to look normal and then at the very end when they turn the lights on and he's just sitting in front of a cactus that looks like his deformed ear <laughs> and like the movie got me you know in terms of like i was enjoying it to the point where it didn't matter because i knew i saw that joke coming from a mile away and still liked it you know it's not like it doesn't seem hacky or cliche it's somehow just it's like part of the charm that like exactly what you think is going to come actually it winds up coming I'm not going to lie. It got me. I didn't Oh, know. okay. <laughs> as soon as he was like fully deformed, I was like, wait, but he's only half deformed in the interview. But I, I never quite caught it. It got me the first time, definitely, because I mean, this I don't know if it's just the directors or just everyone involved, but they all have just a great sense of film language. And I think the setup of that joke is a perfect example, because as they're cutting back to him in silhouette telling his story, he's actually acting in the makeup, you know, like it's as if he's still the freak. But then at the end, when they turn the lights on, like it's clearly different that he doesn't have the makeup on and he's been sitting in front of these two cactus because the cactus don't move you know so they know that you're expecting him to be normal but they're playing along the entire time they're dragging it out it's that's that to me is like part of the joke is that we figured it out and they're still playing along i just think like throughout the movie a lot of the visual gags and just the general look of it is attributed to that 
they really just understand film language to that degree. It's a dumb movie that's made by smart guys. I guess that's the sort of the simplest way to say it, right? That they know mm. what they're doing and still, like, what they want to do. Like you were saying before, you know, they could do Shakespeare, but instead they want to do this, like, stupid monster movie and just, like, have fun. And that's great. Like, that's amazing. Like, I wish that more people made movies like that. I mean, I guess now it sort of happens, but, I mean, it, it really feels like this kind of movie only could have been made, like, in the 80s or early 90s. These people were not afraid to make a misstep. They were brave, and they went for their vision, and they just fucking did it. I feel I feel like everyone's very self-aware these days. That's part of the aught 16 uh, style, is just being very self-aware and very gritty and real and, yeah, just aware of everything around you. These guys were aware of nothing except this stupid thing <laughs> in their head, and they fucking went for it. And they executed it perfectly. Well, maybe not perfectly, but who cares? I mean, I'm willing to believe that this movie was exactly what was in their heads. I'm, I'm willing to believe that they, they executed it perfectly for them. Yeah, I agree with all that. It's just got such a distinct style to it. It just seems like everyone's on the same page. It's funny that you say Mr. T apparently walked off early, but he, he was good in this. You know, everybody seems to be bringing their A game, even Randy Quaid. You know, he's better than usual here. And this definitely does feel like a product of his time that has passed. Like, it's a schlocky, straight-to-VHS, you know, you find it at a, a used store type of movie. Those don't really come around too often these days, but we're getting a little closer back around to it with video on demand and stuff. And maybe recently, something that has sort of invoked the same type of filmmaking spirit in me was a movie Joey recommended last year, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. So good. That is the best movie. Yeah. The the director of that actually went to school with me. Five Second Films, those guys, they started as a little uh, divergence here. They started at, we had the Ed Wood Film Festival that it was 24 hours to make a film based on a theme. And they had the theme, My Eyes Are Killing Me. And they just made a bunch of five second films based on this theme. So, yeah. And it became the whole thing. That's awesome. This movie, I'm glad you brought that up, <laughs> Mike, because this movie, when the movie starts, I, that's, I thought of that movie because there's like, the first thing we see is like a commercial, like a news bulletin that says... The flying gimp has been destroyed. You may now return to your homes. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. They okay, never, they down. never explain what that is or like what <laughs> reference that is. And then later in the movie, there's the commercial for machismo, the cheese sauce you can oh, drink like that, that turns you into man or whatever. There's just like these weird asides, and it's just wonderful. Like, there's like there's this delight, and there's this camp, and just it's earnest. Like it doesn't feel. Like, you can make this movie sort of cynically, but, like, they made this, like, with their hearts, and it just shows. Like, it's passion, and it's it's fun, and it's because they, these guys love what they do, this movie is fun. I like to think there's a side story that got cut about the guy in the wheelchair who fell out of the plane. That would be the flying gimp. <laughs> that leads into what I was going to say, is that both of what you said kind of speaks to my point, is that this movie has moments where it would come across as too harsh in other instances but it's done in this sense of fun that it never offends you know what i'm saying like yeah some of it might be because it always well yeah like it's all it's all about poor taste you know so like you know immediately if this movie is for you or not within the first five minutes or first two minutes for that matter and that's what i love about it is they're not being mean to any degree it's just the genre yeah there are definitely a few like products of its time that show how far we've come socially in the past 20 years. Some definitely like weird jabs at feminists. Even with those jokes about feminists and things like that, I also feel like they're done tongue-in-cheek because they take just as many. Oh, they yeah. take more shots at guys. And, and plus the girl in this movie that gets mutated into half a guy. Like She is probably like the toughest character in the movie anyway, right? Like <laughs> She's yeah. a really strong woman too. So it's like they did her 
justice, I feel, even though she gets ragged on a lot because everyone, it's all yeah. about that. Like everybody sort of gets it as much as everyone else. And it's clear it's all just a product of its time too. It's just, it is very much just the 90s. If the movie at all sounds like something you'd want to see, it's available in its entirety on YouTube, right, Zach? Like, that's where you watched it? Yeah, it had Portuguese subtitles. Oh, that might so, make it funnier. Uh, yeah, a little bit. It was called Freaklandia, Parque dos Aurores. All right, all right. Because like Mike was saying, you know, you'll know within the first two minutes whether or not you're going to like this movie. Like, if you like the first two minutes, you're going to like the movie. If you aren't on board, just save yourself the time. But, I mean, it's available to watch for free, and you can maybe learn a little Portuguese while you're watching it. So, I mean, it's a win-win <laughs> all around as far as I'm concerned. Oh, a uh, little side note. When I was – I didn't realize that the first one was this. So I was, like, looking around for clips, frantically, like, what can I see? And one of the other ones that – the first, it had just the Keanu scenes put together, and it was from a channel called Keanu Russian Club. Oh, yeah. I think they were the one who shared the very early things, like the – the talent show. I can't. What's what was the first thing we did, Mike? I don't remember what that was called. Going great. Yeah, like going great and night heat. They had some clips. Yeah, early on. Because I think that's that. where we found those. Because like the Keanu Russian Club, they've saved us in the past before. Like they love him the way we love him, but they just put stuff on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to like kind of listen very closely to hear the English underneath the the Russian overdub. But uh, I was like, there's got to be another way. And thankfully, I found the Portuguese subtitles, which were easier to deal with. Any last thoughts about Freaked? I think that's all my notes. I mean, I didn't really take that many notes because I was just sort of on board with the movie. And I mean, what are you going to take notes on? Like how crazy all the monsters look? Because, I mean, Keanu's not yeah, in it that right. much, but it's just, it's it's fun. So, Zach, any other last thoughts that we didn't get to that you wanted to mention? What was Pinhead's deal? She just kind of had a pointy head. Well, that goes way back to, like, Todd Browning's Freaks from the 1930s about a freak show and and in American Horror Story I believe too they have depictions of pinheads but they're real life deformed people that are born that way and way back in the day you know people just assumed that they were simple minded and maybe trick them or just pay them to be in freak shows because solely based on the way they look I believe so I saw the pinhead as a reference to the movie Freaks by Todd Browning Oh, okay. Oh, and Cronenberg's shoe. That was the most horrifying thing. Oh, no, yeah, that was great. That was so Rick and Morty. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike, any last thoughts about Freak? Just the one thought is it could only be better if there was more Keanu in it. And, you know, unfortunately there isn't. <laughs> but surprisingly, I was not checked out because of that. We still get that great scene of him playing Hollywood Squares. We get the almost knife fight with Keanu, right? Like, he's sort of macking on the girl that Ricky likes and he defends his honor at one point, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And I like the part where they're all doing the milkman joke. I thought the milkman joke was great. <laughs> um, where where Rick tr just, like, knocks out the milkman and dresses up as him, but then all the other freaks also knocked out like 12 other milkmen and dressed up as him. And Randy Quaid's like, that's a whole <laughs> lot of milkmen. Look! Another milkman! Hey, Rick, couldn't you come up with your own escape plan? Yeah. You gotta be kidding me. A dozen milkmen? Isn't that a little unusual? Twelve milkmen is theoretically possible. Yeah, yeah. Thirteen is silly. silly. Looks like one milkman too many, Coogan. I like that whole sequence. No wonder they fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're fighting for turf or something. <laughs> and that's also the scene in which Keanu runs off chasing a squirrel. And it's just like, that's as much as a million dollars gets you for Keanu. <laughs> like, just going to run yeah. off your movie set chasing a squirrel at one point. 
styrofoam cup. Yeah, I, I feel like this could be a midnight screening kind of movie. Yeah, this is definitely one that, that makes me proud that we did Keanu, because this is a movie that I probably never would have heard of otherwise, and I'm glad that this is something like, this is one of those ones you can be like, like let's just sit down and watch this movie, because it just you're not going to see anything like it, or if you are, like it's not going to be as with, filled with as much heart as this one. Yeah, and this also makes me feel happy and sad for Alex Winter, like glad that he made this movie and I get to tell people to watch it so they get to see his work and everything, but sad because he didn't get to sort of be involved in anything more like this later on, like it would have really been cool if this led to another movie like you know something as crazy maybe more mainstream or something but he does go on to be a documentary film director and stuff but it's just cool that he has this movie to showcase what he can really do and i definitely i'm gonna be telling people to check it out <laughs> i've already made my roommate watch the trailer well there you go did they like it oh yeah he, he was he was just like what but like in a good way good which is pretty much what i was like the entire yeah. movie uh well zach thank you very much for joining us Thank you for having me. Oh, you're not back for... Wait, this might be... This might be your last Keanu. Oh, no. So there's still ones that are open, so if you want to find another one. But yeah, for for now, this is your last Keanu, so let's fix that. Shit. Let's fix that. I'm going to start talking to random people on the sidewalk about Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And even if you don't come back... I mean, I hope you come back. But even if you don't come back, you've been a delight all these times. So thank you very much, and take a bow. I'm taking a bow right now. For all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find the podcast we've already done, what's coming next, other shows on the network, all sorts of fun stuff at those two places. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Zach Dazan, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Break, 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 break